What do you do when there's nothing that you can do? What do you do when you find yourself in irreparable circumstance? What is your action when you find yourself in a place where you can do nothing to change the situation? Now, today I'm starting a brand new series called For a Time Such as This. And for the next few weeks, we're going to address this question. What do you do when there's nothing that you can do? We know that in life, there are problems that we can solve, but there are also problems that seem impossible to solve. And at some point in our life, and for many of us, more than one time in our life, we're going to find ourselves in a set of circumstances, in a season of life that looks like there's just nothing that we can do. There's just no way out. And this is just the way it is. And there's really no way to change that set of circumstances. Now this week, we are also reminded of the pain and systemic brokenness that exists in our society, not just south, south of the border, but in our lives, and I would venture to say in our hearts. There's something in us that wants to position everything into nice clean squares of us and them. And all things will work out if we just stay in those nice clean squares. And we know what's best in those squares and of course, they, whoever they are, they don't. But when things don't go right, when things go horribly wrong, when we find ourselves in a circumstance that seems irreparable, what do we do? COVID is another example of a life season that is so disruptive. And let's just be honest, it's just so weird. It's so hard to know what to do or who to listen to. But there are other seasons in our lives as well. There are other things that seem to be full of problems without solutions. For some of us, maybe it's marriage. Maybe it's with kids or the fact that there is no kids or the kids have moved on. For some of us, it's relatives you didn't choose and the, an extended family that you're stuck with. And it is what it is, right? For some of us, it's financial. Your financial dreams aren't coming true and there's nothing you can do about it. Or maybe it's your career and it's not what you wanted and there's no way to work harder and no way to get it on track. Or maybe it's a health issue for you, it's debilitating and chronic and it's just going on and on and on. And they can kind of treat it, but they can't cure it. And this is your new reality. This is your new normal. So what are you gonna do? You can run, but you can't just run. You can quit, but you don't wanna quit, but you do wanna quit. You can drink or use substances into oblivion, but you know that's temporary. And even that creates more problems and more issues. And then there's this whole internal battle that we have, that we all have when circumstances get bad like this. And then we get jealous of other people, don't we? We look at the wrinkle-free life others have and we think that was the life I was supposed to have. And it's so easy to get resentful. It's easy to get angry. It's really, really easy to compare. I mean, let's be honest. We all have a picture of what family is supposed to be, what a career is supposed to be, what being stable financially is supposed to be. And when these expectations are not met, when you're in a time such as this, what do you do when there's nothing you can do? It is in those moments at the epicenter of the crisis, at the epicenter of the emotion, especially for us believers, there is a question that rises up a question that I want to start with today, in a time such as this, I want to start with, does God know? Does God care? Is God concerned? Does God hear my prayers? 
if I could just know, if I had just some calm assurance that God somehow knows about this, that would almost be enough. But when it feels like God isn't hearing our cries, when it feels like he's absent, we begin to ask, what did I do wrong? What did I do to deserve this lot in life? In fact, some of you who are watching today and you're thinking, okay, God, look, look, I'm doing all this stuff to make things right. I'm online watching church. Look, I gave some money. I even sang some songs. What does it take to get your attention, God? How can I get my luck back? How can I get your blessing back? How can I get you to pay attention to me? And here's what's amazing about what we're going to talk about in the next few weeks. In spite of all you have done or not done, your heavenly father loves you. And the reason I can say this with confidence is because of one of the most famous statements in all of history, let alone scripture, which says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. This is the hallmark of Christianity. The statement, the world includes you and you and you and me. The bottom line I want us to unpack in this series is this. God is not absent. God is not apathetic. God is not angry with you. God is not absent, although God feels absent sometimes. God is not apathetic, even though it feels like he's not listening. To understand this, to understand what I'm trying to explain here, I want us to look at two very familiar stories that you might know, especially if you grew up in the church. And what we'll see is this. We will see that even the followers of Jesus, even the early Christians, even those that were closest to Jesus, were asking and dealing with the same questions that we deal with. They were asking, God, where are you? Do you love me? Do you know my name? Do you care? Give me a sign. Throw me a line. I just need to know that you're present in the midst of all of these circumstances. Though they don't seem to be changing or getting better, and they don't feel like, and maybe it feels like there's no hope. Show me that you are there, God. These are the same things that the early church was asking as well. So our first story starts in Matthew 11. Now, one day Jesus is teaching in Galilee to some of his core guys, and he's about to send them out. And we read, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? Now, this is John the Baptist. The people saw him as a prophet and he came baptizing and telling people to turn away from their sins, from things they know uh, are wrong. And John finds himself in prison. He finds himself in prison because he challenged a politician, a king actually, for his sins for, of messing around with his brother's wife, who is also their niece. It's, it's really super messed up, but that's another story. And now he finds himself in prison and he sends his disciples to Jesus. And they ask, are you the one? Are you really the Messiah? Are you really the sent one from God? Are you really the one we have been waiting for? Now, why is John asking this? John knew Jesus. Why is he asking him this now? He wants to know because he's been left in prison and time has gone by. And just like for all of us, when time goes by, he begins to wonder. And he sees there's no changes. And he begins to have doubts. So John sends these guys and he's about a year and a half in prison, wasting away. In, and he says, hey, are you the one? 
And so they come to, to Jesus and say, hey, John has a question for you. Are you really the one? Are you really the one we've been waiting for? Should we be looking for another one? Because John is beginning to have doubts. And Jesus says, here's what I want you to tell John. I want you to tell him, I am the one. I want you to tell him all about the things that I'm doing for everybody else. I want you to tell him about all the people I've healed. I want you to tell him about the lame who now walk, the blind who now see. I mean, let's, let's read this reply. Jesus said, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear. The dead are raised. The good news is proclaimed to the poor. John is struggling in prison. It's awful. And he wants liberation. And Jesus' answer to John, to the guy he loved, is look around. Well, that's actually not really helpful if we're honest, is it? Seems like Jesus is doing this for everybody else, for others, but not for John. Seems like he is helping everyone but him. The reason I tell you this is that in your lowest moments, in your painful circumstances, you, like John the Baptist, are wondering where Jesus is. And what we see in this example is that Jesus can still love you and Jesus can know you and know exactly where you are at and Jesus can know your name and not love you any less and not be any less active in your life but still seem distant, just like it seemed for John the Baptist. Now, here's the fascinating thing. Right after these guys leave to go back and to tell John the message that Jesus just shared with them, Jesus shares something very interesting. Here's what he said. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. In other words, he's saying this, pay attention. Blessed is the one who does not interpret my silence as absence. Blessed is the one who, when I, when I do a certain thing or don't do a certain thing or don't answer the prayer that you want or don't come through or don't speak or don't change the circumstance as you wish. Blessed is that person that trusts me and believes in me and follows me despite of this. Blessed is the person that continues to trust me even when I don't seem to be acting on their behalf. Just like John the Baptist. In other words, don't interpret God's silence as absence. What we see in the story is that Jesus knew all about John. And we learn from the story the fact that your heavenly father knows all about you. Now let's jump to the next story before we conclude this one. And this next story is found in John 11. And some time goes by and John the Baptist is either still in prison or maybe he's actually dead at this point. We're not sure of the timeline exactly. And Jesus is teaching people. And a man runs up, to, uh, runs up to Jesus all out of breath. And he says, Master, Lord, and he's breathing hard. The one you love is sick. Now, if somebody runs up to you and says, hey, the one you love has been in a car accident, for example, who would you think? I mean, if you have kids, you automatically start thinking of your kids. Maybe you think of your spouse, your parents, maybe your best friend. What I'm trying to say is the the circle is very small of the people you love. The one you love is sick. This person doesn't even name the person right away. Now, who's he talking about? Now, those of you that grew up in the church probably know the answer. And the person he's talking about is Lazarus. 
So let's read about the story. When, we hear, when he heard this, Jesus said, this sickness will not end in death. No, it's for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. And then he said to his disciples, let us go back to Judea. You can just imagine the guy runs up to Jesus. He shares the news and the disciples get up and they're ready to leave. And Jesus says, sit back down. And they're like, aren't we going? And Jesus says, no, no, we're not going yet. But the one you love, I know he says, I know he's sick, but we're going to stay here. Why? Why would we do this? This doesn't make any sense. Why are we showing up, God? Why are we leaving them in that circumstance? And Jesus says, because I'm up to something you don't understand. God's going to do something nobody anticipated. Lazarus can handle it. Mary and Martha can handle it. They're going to hate me, Jesus says. They're going to be mad at me, he says. They're going to misunderstand me. They're going to judge me. And they did. Now think about the moments of your time, of your circumstance of most brutal disappointment. And I know what, what you're here right now may feel like, oh, okay, thank you for sharing that with me. Thank you that, that God knows that I'm mad or even misunderstanding or judging. That makes me feel so much better. I get it. That doesn't feel quite right. But hear me out. I just want to create a category for you to understand that your unanswered prayer does not mean God is uninterested. You and John the Baptist have something in common. You and Mary and Martha and Lazarus have something in common. You and some of the best people who have ever walked on the planet earth and some of the people that God used in the most unique ways, you all have something in common. God's silence in your life is not evidence of absence. And his apparent absence is not a reflection of apathy. And how do we know that? Because of the story of John the Baptist and the story of Lazarus and the story of many others. In those seasons when we feel abandoned, but as we zoom out on that season, we often see that God was actually near. There are seasons of life when God seems silent and still, but he's neither silent nor still. And I love these words Jesus says, and he says in them, blessed is he, blessed is she, who does not stumble, who does not lose their faith on account of me. And that's what we're going to be talking about. That's what we're going to be unpacking in the next few weeks. Despite Jesus's actions of not moving as Lazarus wanted him, as his sisters wanted him, despite of those actions, Jesus was near. And eventually when Jesus does go and we read one of the most powerful statements in the Bible, which says, Jesus wept. Jesus, even though knowing that he was going to do something unique on earth, he was going to do something so earth shattering in the case of Lazarus. He was overwhelmed with such grief and pain on Lazarus' behalf that he openly and publicly wept. Jesus loved Lazarus. Jesus loved John the Baptist. Jesus loved the world. The results on earth were different for John and for Lazarus. What I want us to address today is that your situation is not because of God's anger or apathy. There were choices, there were mistakes, and there was brokenness of this world that is chaotic and random. But God's love and care for you was and is right in the middle of it all. 
So much so that Jesus himself chooses to be broken on the cross for all of our pain, all of our unfulfilled dreams, all of our disappointments, for all of it, so that you could have, so that I could have life. Let's just be honest for a second. When tragedy hits, when dreams fade, when everything seems hopeless, we say, I'll never be happy again. Or we say, nothing good can come out of this. Or there's no point in continuing. In the midst of all these situations and circumstances of life, we quickly lose three things. Our joy, our hope, and our sense of purpose. But I have some great news for you and for me. Based on the accounts of real people in the Bible and based on the accounts of people that you know and that I have met and that you will hear from during during the next few weeks, you, like these people, can regain your hope and you can regain a sense of purpose. Not because those bad things were actually good. No, they weren't. They were awful and they were bad. Not because God was angry or absent, but because God loves you deeply in the midst of it all. And for a time such as this, in this season, he weeps with you and was broken for you and for me. He experienced the cross. He was broken so that this current moment, this time, this this circumstance of brokenness will not be, will not have the last say, will not be the end, will not define you or I. Would you say with me, That in this moment, in this time when you're not experiencing all that you want, in this time that you're not going on holidays this summer as you wished, not being near a loved one as you wanted, not having the job that you always dreamed, not having the family you wanted, in this time, in this circumstance, in this moment, it will not define you. Say it with me. Would you say this with me? God is not finished. There is more to life than this. Today is just the start of the series. We're going to unpack so much more as we go. Our own Austin and John will be speaking in weeks to come. But today, if you're needing a mentor, if you're needing support, or if you're needing a group of people to journey with, would you let us know in the chat? Would you consider joining a mentorship program that we offer here at Circle? Would you let us know in the chat right now if you're interested? Or maybe you're not in the Circle group. And you need a group of people to journey with you. Would you let us know in the chat and somebody will be with you in moments. Please know that there is nothing easy about your difficult circumstances. For all of us in this time, we need a reminder that the Bible and the story of God and his work and action with people was a journey. And sometimes in our deepest pain, we need the reminder that God is not finished, that our journey is not over. God is bringing all things to completion. He's not done yet. And one day, one day, there'll be no more pain, no more sorrow. We need to know, I just need to know, we just need to know that in this moment, day by day by day, that Jesus has not forgotten us, has not forgotten me, has not forgotten you, that he's still holding our world, your world, my world, the whole world in his hands. Would you join me in prayer? God, we thank you for your enormous love. And we thank you that you know our difficult circumstances. And in moments when we feel there's nowhere to go, nothing to do, how can we ever get out of this? You're right in the midst of that pain. 
And that moment may feel like silence, may feel like your absence, but you're right there deep with us. This is why you experienced the cross so that we could have life and grace and love. We thank you for that. We're thankful that you are not finished, that you're bringing all things to right standing. We thank you for that, God. We praise in your name. Amen.